morning everybody this morning I'm gonna ramble on a little about myself where I come from and uh, a little bit about my background kind of like uh, some of the other boys in the something about farming crew did yesterday so hope you enjoy it all right uh, I hope the audio is good I'm in the old 4440 raking hay this morning watching the beautiful sunrise come up it's nice man it's really nice um i'm from hobart oklahoma uh i grew up on a farm we raise uh wheat cotton uh just started getting into a little bit of milo sesame uh, mainly wheat uh and cotton we have about 200 mama cows uh, farm about I farm about 1500 acres my dad farms about 800 and we got probably 2000 acres in grass um, which sounds like a lot but it's really not in grass because you can't run very many cows to the acre out here so um A lot of uh, a lot of things going on right now obviously with the cotton prices not being so hot trade wars escalating and uh, we were already knocked on our ass before this all started so really getting hammered now I remember the good old days when I was growing up uh, wheat was Five fifty-six bucks. Just ain't that much. It ought to be more than that. But uh, it was fun, man. It was so much funner back then. We could hire a custom harvester to come every year, and cut our wheat, hang out with them guys. They got it out in a hurry. They got it out quick. They beat the hailstorms. They beat the rain. It was, and you could afford to pay them to do it. And and it was just, it worked out. We had the plow tractors rolling right behind the combines. That's all I did growing up was plow. Uh, I'm gonna set my phone down. I don't know if y'all can hear me, hang on. But uh, that's all I did when I was young was plow. For the most part, I started plowing when I was eight years old on an old Steiger Bearcat four-wheel drive tractor. Pulling a uh, 32 foot. 30 foot, something like that, Melrose plow. And I hated the Melrose plows. Hated them. They were good plows. They, they took the ground when other, thing, other plows wouldn't. But uh, every single day, every day, you were constantly changing wheel bearings in them. On ours, anyway. And it wasn't just the one plow, it was all three of them we owned were like that. So I learned at a young age how to change wheel bearings real quick. <laughs> uh, but I never will forget the first time I got to plow. That's something that every kid will remember and cherish the rest of their life. I was on a on a quarter that's actually now in blue stem grass. We put it to grass. We swath and bell it every year. But uh, at that time we farmed it. And uh, my dad rode with me turned me loose and he fell asleep in the floorboard of that tractor he was kind of sitting all 
crumbled up to the side and there was a little wash I never will forget it there was a little wash out there in the field and that that stagger had a D accelerator pedal on the floor and uh, I thought that was cool so I get up to that uh, I finally got over to that wash my dad was passed smooth out and I went and I pressed down on that pedal to go across that little wash and he jumped up quicker than you could shake a stick and he was worried <laughs> He knew he, he felt that engine pull down and he was uh he thought something went wrong i said relax i was just slowing down for this washout i never will forget that but uh that's where i got my start um my dad my grandpa uh my grandpa passed away about two years ago i miss him every day but uh yeah they started farming my great-grandpa started it. I don't know the year. I'd like to find out. That's pretty sad that I don't know. I do know that the place where I live, the quarter I bought when I got out of high school and I put my house on, uh, that is the only centennial farm that we have. Uh, I was lucky enough to buy it before it left the family. My great-grandma grew up there, and her brother inherited that place and uh, his stepdaughter inherited it from him and she called me up one day and told me she wanted to sell it or she called me and told me she wanted to rent it I said sure I'll rent it I rented it for a year and well I paid rent that first year and uh, it's all a quarter of grass so I bought some cows put them out there uh then uh she called me up about eight months later before my rent was due again she said hey do you want to buy this place i said yeah i do and uh it, lo and behold i bought it and she took the rent money off of the off the top and put it towards escrow and uh it all worked out i was only 19 years old 20 years old i didn't have no money you know i, I jumped off the deep end quick but uh you know, land was cheaper then than it is now, even. And, uh, it's getting kind of out of hand, really, for the the inputs that we have in it and not getting any return. But it's hard. It's a tough, tough world, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love it. It's the only thing I want to do. It's the only thing that makes me happy. Uh, my family run a dozer business for 75 years. This will be 76 years this year, actually, and... Uh, I got into that right out of high school. I went to school for diesel mechanic and uh, got my certi certification in that. And just to have a fallback plan, my mom always told me that you need to have a second option for farming because it, you never know. And she's right. And uh, I did that, got my certification. And uh, while I was in school, I actually found a dozer that I liked. So I bought a dozer and I ran the dozer business after I got out of school. That's all I did for. Oh, well, I gotta say that's all I did. I farmed too. I, I had to. I'll get to that in a second. But I, I ran the dozer business for my main source of income for seven years or so. And uh, man, I just. I, it's not that I didn't like it, but it just wasn't me. Farming is the only thing I want to do. The only thing that I've ever done that makes me truly happy. As stressed out as I am all the time about it, uh, it's the only thing I want to wake up in the morning and go do. The dozer was not it. 
And that's crazy to say because the dozer was a way better source of income and a, and a good business to run. I stayed busy. I could make good money. But it's just like farming too. Any business you run that requires a lot of inputs will get you down eventually. I mean, they you always have bad times. You could have a $30,000 breakdown and it just kill you. Luckily, I never did. My dad has experienced that, though, before. Those dozers are not cheap to work on. Every time I had a mechanic come down from the city uh, that's about two hours away, it's a 1000 bucks just to get them to drive down here and, and $135 an hour once they get here to start working on it. So, uh, I miss the way things used to be. I miss the way tractors and dozers used to be where you could work on them yourself and it didn't take a damn laptop to do it. That's really what's really killed us it's, and then when o, uh, Obama Obama was president uh, he did some decent things but he did some bad things too and it, not all was his fault but we used to do most of our dozer work was through the government on uh, soil conservation projects and build ponds and terraces and waterways and it's uh, all I did and uh, they would help pay for those well, that quit when Obama got elected and uh, for the second term. It was during the second term. It was pretty good until the second term. Something happened. I don't know what happened, but that money just stopped. The government was broke, and uh, that kind of killed me. All I had left was hourly work for farmers when they needed it. And we all know when farmers are broke, everybody else is broke when it comes to stuff like that. So just slowly dwindled down. Uh, we had, uh, at one time, we had five dozers. Uh, we had three when my grandpa was still alive a couple years ago. Now we're down to one, just my dad's. And uh, But I couldn't be happier. I'm farming now, full-time. I finally got enough land to, where I can do this full-time. And it's it's a very big struggle, I'm not going to lie. It's, I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills at the end of the year. I really don't. But uh, I know God has got it in control of everything, and he'll, he'll provide as long as... I really truly believe you take care of your land, your land will take care of you in the end. And uh, you're gonna have bad years, you're gonna have good years, but you'll have lessons learned along the way to put that money back on the good years to to survive the bad years. Uh, I truly believe that it's just as bad or worse than it was in the 80s right now. The only thing difference is the uh, interest rates. So, but I started farming myself in 2012. I, uh, my dad and my grandpa, they had a quarter of school land each. They decided to let that school land go, let me take over the rent on it. So I did. Uh, school land is pretty big around our area. There is probably, I, I, I don't want to lie to you, but I would be guessing close to 20,000 acres of school land around here. Maybe a little less. But there's all there's school land all over the state of Oklahoma, but around my area there's a bunch of it. And uh, what it is is a it's a public auction every year. People go to this auction and they bid on on the school land they want. And they uh, generally, you know, people have integrity. They don't try to bid you up on stuff that you've had in your family for 50, 60 years. You know, and you can really upset some people. You gotta be careful. You don't want to just go in there and start bidding. Gotta have some decency. 
you know, talk to farmers. There's some older farmers wanting to retire, let go of stuff. That's then it's free game, you know. That's what I did. I got some more that I've uh, accumulated, uh, but you can really piss some people off if you're not careful too. And you don't want to do that. I've never been that way. When I first started, I was a little greedier. I've learned some lessons along the way. Uh, now I don't ever go out of my way to rent something. I, if they can call me, you know, and if they can drive by my farm and see what I'm doing, and if they like it, then they'll call me, you know, when they have something come up. And that's the way to go about it, guys. That's the only way to go about it, in my opinion. Yeah. You go out and sweep the rug out from under people, and you ain't gonna make no friends, and, and uh, you're just gonna end up worse off in the end. So. But at first, I was a little greedier. Out, I'd call around and ask, "Hey, you know, if you ever need a renter, let me know." I don't do that anymore. Uh, but that was before I had, you know, all I had was 200 acres, and I was trying to trying to accumulate a little something to, to get going. But I started farming in 2012, like I said, with that school land. That 200 lasted me two years, and that is a crazy story about that 200 acres. Uh, it's actually 320 acres, but 120 of it's grass. But on that 200 acres, guys, <laughs> the first year I farmed it, 2012, I raised a wheat crop. I think I averaged about 33 bushels to the acre. Our county average is about 28 here. It's not great. Not good at all. That's why we're struggling so bad. People raise 120 bushel wheat and they're bitching. You come to Caldwell County, Oklahoma, you ain't gonna raise that good of wheat. But, uh, in that year, 2012, I raised like an average of 33 bushels. I sold it for 6.57 a bushel, and I made a lot of money that year. Uh, to me, you know, as a kid, a young farmer, I made good money, and I was like, "Man, this is gonna work! I can't wait! This is awesome! I want more! I want more!" <laughs> I've done nothing but lose money since. I promise you, uh, this wheat market is just horrible. Oh, it can't get no worse, I don't think. Jeez. Iowa. I can't believe it. Honestly can't believe it. But, but that 200 lasted me a few years. And uh, a, a gentleman had a half section, another 320 acres south of me. Called me up. Asked if I'd be interested in renting it. And I said, yeah, I'd be interested. But he wanted $50 an acre rent. That's really high around here. Uh, on the higher end. I wasn't sure about it, but I did it anyway. And the first year I had it was 2016, I believe. Maybe 2015. I think it was 2016. And I hit a bumper crop on that, that year. Uh, averaged about 50 bushel wheat. And I kick myself in the ass every day I think about that. Because I did not fertilize my wheat that year. Uh, the price sucked. Imagine that. You hit a bumper crop. Price sucks. But if I would have, it would have been so much better. But I was young and dumb. I didn't know what I was doing. I just, I didn't want to spend more money and have the uncertainty at $3.20 wheat. So, just didn't think it was worth it at the time. But now looking back, it would have been just because it was such a good crop. If I could have turned that 50 bushel into 70 bushel, you know, it would have made a big difference on that half section. So, but uh, 
I was happy though, and then the bottom fell out of weed, and uh, I tried sesame. I put everything to sesame the next year. Now sesame is a pretty crazy crop. It grows like a weed. It's, it does good during droughts. It, I mean, it's drought tolerant. About as much as cotton, if not a little better than being drought tolerant. Uh, pretty good rotational crop, guys. It's uh, For all you out in West Panhandle, Texas, West Texas, Oklahoma, Southwest Oklahoma, you might want to look into it if you need the rotation and we're running out of options. But uh, the problem with it is, is, is harvesting. It's not hard to get it up, like they say. I had a 100% stand on everything I did. And I'm not that great of a farmer, I promise you. So, uh, The hard part is definitely harvest. Um, that stuff, if water will run through a crack on your combine, that sesame will too. And uh, I had trouble. It wasn't just terrible, but it was. it's really hard not to blow it out the back of your combine with the fan. Uh, you have to remember, I'm young. I'm, I'm 28 now, but at the time, you know, I was still a kid. I still am, I guess, but I uh, I didn't know how to set a combine up. I just trusted other people to kind of help me at deer and and uh, kind of went off what they said. But every combine's a little different. You got to adjust on them and get them right. But I could have done a better job for sure. You lose a lot in your header harvesting this but have you I don't know if uh, any of y'all ever heard this but I didn't know it until I started farming sesame but if y'all y'all have ever heard the term open sesame obviously you probably have well that comes from that crop sesame and sesame what it, the big deal that sesco has done is genetically modify that stuff to where it doesn't open up all the way and shatter on the ground so used to, open sesame was a term used when the sesame would get ripe and it was ready to harvest, they had to go out there and hand pick it before the pods opened up all the way and shattered it all over the ground. It used to open up all the way and just fall apart and not, well, that sesame would be all over the ground. So they go out and hand pick this crop, they still do overseas. There's nowhere else in the world that can harvest this crop with the, they don't have the technology in the seed and I don't know if Sesico has gone overseas yet or not, but at the time and when I farmed it, they hadn't. And we were the only ones that could harvest that stuff with the combine. They had genetically modified it to open up a partial way, dry out, and you could and you could go harvest it with the combine. And uh, I like it. I do like the crop, but now the Sesico Corporation that I was hauling it to not going to talk bad about them but it was kind of a clusterfuck i ain't gonna lie uh, i was sitting out uh, in line one day for about seven hours trying to dump a truck and we all know that that uh, in the middle of harvest on something like that you can't have that much downtime trying to dump a truck and i think they've gotten some kinks worked out they had a bad day some breakdowns on some equipment that day but shit happens i know everybody that happens to everybody but if wheat doesn't come back up and this price caught in the way it is, I don't know what other choice I got but to try sesame again. And uh, I think I think I can make it work, but who can raise 55 cent cotton and, and have $200 plus an acre in it? You, 
it, just, it doesn't work for dry land. Uh, I, I'm going to be way short this year. I've lost, I've lost a lot of money the last two years of these droughts. And now with the trade war too, it's almost a nail in the coffin. But I'm going to keep my head up, keep going, try my hardest to keep it, keep alive. But yeah, that sesame is a, a neat crop. Uh, I have Milo this year. Uh, it's the first time I've ever uh, farmed Milo. Uh, of course, the drought all summer has uh, hadn't helped it any, but we actually got about an inch of rain the night before last, and uh, that's the first rain we've had since the end of May. So, measurable amount. We've had a little trace of maybe a hundredth or two one hundredths of an inch a couple of times but just the storms had died out before it got to us that's just part of dry land farming it's part of it but yeah that's a little about my past and uh, uh i got lots of stories to tell but uh when i was 11 i'll go ahead and tell this one because it's a pretty important one uh i think about it every day but when i was 11 years old me and my cousin, we were uh, changing sweeps on a plow, and we uh, all we had was some breakovers. The impact was at our headquarters in the barn. It was about 100 degrees, and we're we're about tired of it. We looked at each other and said, "This is bullshit. Let's go get that impact." So we loaded up, we went to go get that impact. And around here, the mesquite trees are pretty bad in the pastures. And uh, we come up to this intersection. And uh, trying to turn around here. And the mesquite trees were were uh, grew up all the way to the into the pasture to the to the intersection. And it made it a blind intersection; you couldn't see anything coming. And. Uh, Lo and behold, there was someone coming, and uh, we were only going about 20, 25 mile an hour, but uh, we hit, T-boned this guy, and both vehicles rolled over, his and ours, and it was hot that day, and, and uh, oh, it had rained the night before, so there was no dust. Usually, you know, that's what got us. Usually we'll slow down, look for dust, and you can always see a car coming from the dust, you know, or a pickup coming. And there wasn't any dust because it rained just enough the night before to settle the dust. So that's why we got a break to change sweeps. We hit, and my windows were down. I wasn't buckled up. He wasn't buckled up. And as that pickup rolled over on its side, I went out the window halfway. And uh, if I would have gone all the way out, it probably wouldn't have been fine. But luckily, I went halfway and not just my head. But that pickup landed on its side, and I was underneath it halfway, and it, it crushed me. And I woke up. I, I never really got knocked out, but uh, I, I woke up, as you could, as you could imagine, in a panic. I was an 11-year-old kid. Didn't know what to do. I knew I was in, inten in intense pain but didn't really know the significance of my injuries. 
<clears throat> and about that time, my cousin, Brian, he, uh, I don't know how he got out through the top of the pickup, but he got out and ran around there, and you could tell on the look on his face that he knew it wasn't good. And, uh, he, uh, he's immediately started trying to lift the pickup off of me, but he couldn't. Now, you have to remember, this is a three-quarter ton pickup with a diesel tank in the bed and a toolbox, air compressor, and tools. It's a heavy son of a bitch. So, about that time, the guy we hit, and this is kind of a comical side of it, the guy we hit was my dad's boss. <laughs> so, uh, but he rolled his pickup, broke his collarbone. Brian, he wasn't hurt. He, he wasn't hurt yet. He gets hurt trying to lift the pickup off of me. I think his back still bothers him to this day. But, uh, guys, adrenaline is an amazing thing. Uh, it'll allow a man to do something that he would never be able to do normally. And these guys get to pushing on this pickup, trying to lift it up, and they couldn't couldn't get it enough to, for me to crawl out. And, uh, we had a big bar. A big, not a pry bar, but like a we use it to pry on things. We actually use it on the dozers. If you ever need to pry on a track or something. And it's just a great big bar. And uh, luckily we had that. He found it in the ditch. And he stabbed that thing underneath that pickup. And they got to prying on it. And they lifted it up just enough. I could crawl out. And I crawled out. And I laid there. And, uh, and that's when it really set in how bad it was. I was really hurting. Uh, the pickup landed on my left side and I was hurting on my right side real bad. I didn't really know. Uh, it's amazing I didn't break my back, get paralyzed or anything like that. The weight of that pickup crushing me like that. But, uh, I was a pretty skinny, lanky little son of a bitch. And I ain't like that no more. But I remember, and this is crazy, but I'll, I'll tell this to anybody that asks. I remember when I looked up in the sky before Brian ran around that pickup. I looked up and I saw this face. I didn't know what it at the time. You know, I didn't think of Jesus or anything like that at the time. But there's this guy, and he uh, he's wearing like a blue robe-looking deal, and I never will forget it. He didn't say a word to me. He just looked down and winked. That's all he did was just winked. And I was like, and I just knew I I didn't know if it was an ancestor. I didn't know if it was Jesus. I didn't know. If, I didn't know. I just thought it was in my head, and it may have been, but I know I fucking saw it, and all I did was wink, and uh, I knew I was going to be okay. And about, and it wasn't no sooner than that happened. It feels like it just oh, immediately the ambulance was there, and <laughs> this girl come around the ambulance and uh, leaned down and started. She started cutting my clothes off of me and my boots, and I didn't care about my clothes. But she got down to my freaking boots, my red wing boots. She started cutting them bastards off. Oh, I was mad. I was real mad. But uh, she said, just calm down. And she said, where else are you hurt? And I said, <laughs> I never will forget this. I lifted up my arm. And uh, I, I said, I think this might be broke. And I lifted up my arm. And my fucking, I'm not exaggerating, guys. My, my middle finger was touching my elbow. My arm was snapped in half. And I didn't know it. I didn't even, my adrenaline was running so bad that my arm wasn't even that hurting that bad. But it started setting in once I looked at it. It was kind of hurting. 
And she said, oh, put that down, hun. <laughs> You're bad. And they had this air-up deal. They put it around my arm, and they aired it up, and it kind of stabilized it. And uh, turns out, we got to the hospital, and the hospital completely botched this deal. They, uh, the doctor kept saying, oh, I'm fine, I'm, everything's okay. And, and uh, of course, my family, they were just relieved, you know, they believed him. They didn't know what else to believe, you know, we're not doctors. And uh, so the next morning, I get released from the hospital, and I don't even remember this. I was, uh, I was, I was in bad shape, and uh, I was to the point I, I was about dead, but I didn't know it. I was just passing out, and uh, the doctor said, "But you need to go to Altus. That's where Josh lives. So you need to go to Altus and uh, and get that arm looked at because you're going to have to have surgery on your arm." So my parents, they didn't even take me by ambulance or nothing. I was hurting so bad. They put an air mattress in the back of the Suburban, my mom's Suburban, and we headed over to Altus. Now, uh, I remember that day very vividly because the freaking ride over there was awful. Every little bump we hit, oh, oh it hurt so bad. And I, I knew it was my abdomen. It was hurting really bad, but I didn't know, you know. At that age, you don't think of internal bleeding. Uh, that's not something that that's not even a term I was familiar with but I'm sure my parents had an idea that something wasn't right well as soon as I get over there this bone doctor looks at me from my arm and he says what are you doing here as my mom said well he's got to look at you got someone to look at his arms because he's gonna have to need surgery the doctor said he said he don't need to be here he needs to be in a hospital he's and it, it just so happens that the clinic I went to was Dr. Hollander, and uh, he saved, he helped save my life. Uh, Dr. Hollander looked at me. He's the bone doctor. His office joins Dr. Glasgow. Dr. Glasgow is a, uh, a surgeon that does a abdomen stuff. I don't know it's exactly what he did, but he did a lot on me that day because he took one look at me and said, this boy's bad. Let's order a CAT scan right now and see what's going on inside. So they did, it came back, and uh, turned out I had a grade five lacerated liver, which is the worst you could have, and I was bleeding out very bad. And blood was filling up to, over my lungs, collapsing my lungs at this time, at this point, and uh, they gave me 45 minutes to live, and the helicopter takes about 40 minutes to get to the, 45 minutes to get me loaded into Oklahoma City OU Trauma Center. So they immediately, they didn't even have time to deaden anything. They didn't have time to put me to sleep. They didn't have time for nothing. They took about 10 nurses, held me down, strapped me to this hospital bed, and they start cutting my sides open and shoving chest tubes in. And they got one in each side and drained, started draining all this blood out of me and started giving me blood. Loaded me on the helicopter and my parents said goodbye and they didn't think I was gonna make it to the city. But I did, and uh, as soon as I got there, they gave me another chest tube. So I had three chest tubes, and they put me in a medically induced coma for about two and a half weeks, and uh, never did surgery. The liver is the only organ in your body that will rejuvenate itself, and uh, I'm blessed for that. I'm blessed that's the only injury I really have, uh, that in my arm. But, boy, the... Uh, 
the the side effects is what really got me been down through it all I, I woke up two weeks or a backtrack just a hair I uh, they took me off a ventilator about a week after and uh, they thought everything was okay well they shoved that ventilator in so quick and so rapidly because they were in such a hurry to save my life they damaged my throat so bad uh, when they pulled it out everything was fine and dandy for about 30 minutes or 20 minutes and then all of a sudden my throat swelled shut and they lost me there uh, black coated or whatever you call that code blue code black I don't know and they brought them shockers in and all that bullshit and they got me back but they had to cut a hole in my throat and give me a tracheotomy and that was probably the worst part about the whole deal I would say that and when they uh, woke me up they pulled them chest tubes out and that hurt like hell but uh, I had I woke up two weeks later and I stayed another week or two in the hospital everything worked out took a lot of physical therapy but what sucked about all of it again the worst part about all of it was learning how to talk again with my throat I had to learn how to eat again and I had to learn how to walk again I didn't even know how to walk it was awful but uh I got through it, and uh, here I am today, and I know it's a long story, but uh, I feel like God put me on this earth for a reason. He gave me a second chance at life to, for some reason, he gave me a second chance. uh, I feel like I'm not going to waste it, you know. If I want to farm, I'm going to fucking farm, and and I'm going to do what I want to do in life. I'm not going to always wish I would have done this or wish I would have done that. If I go bankrupt doing this, then... I'm probably going to try again. And, uh, you know, we can't control everything as farmers. We can't control prices. We can't control markets. We can't control weather. Uh, There's going to be some things that knock us on our ass that we can't control. And uh, like I said, when you have them good years, you're going to have to just put money back and save it for the bad years. And... uh, We'll get through it together. That's what I love about this group, though, that I'm in, this group of guys that I'm in, something about farming guys. Uh, we help each other, man. We, I get down just like everybody else gets down. You know, you talk to other people, and you realize they're in the same boat. You know, they're not getting rain either. They're not uh, – their price, their cons no better than ours. And, uh, you know, it, it don't help to complain about it, but it's hard not to at times. But – I strongly believe that the uh, this, the things will turn around for us as farmers. You you think about everything. Everybody keeps saying we ain't got enough food to feed the world by 2050. And then they move that date down to 2040. And then the, the world's population is so big and we're not going to be able to produce that much more food. Something's got to give at some point to where these prices will come back up. There'll be more of a demand. And... I just pray I make it to that point to where we can start having fun at this again. It hasn't been fun in a long time, and I hope it gets fun again. Uh, But my love for it has never changed. I love doing this. I would rather sit in a tractor for 15 hours a day than sit behind a desk for seven. You know, uh, that's just what I want to do. That's a little bit about me. I could ramble all day. But I'll leave it at that. 
and uh, I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you.